Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Joining us now, TNT analyst Kevin McHale. I tell you what, for Vikings fans... Green Bay playing the Bears is like, do you want to get hung or do you want to get shot? With your host, Galliot Anderson, stuffed it down behind his head. Seku Smith and Lang Whitaker. The NBA's Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations, Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, the players see you coming, do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of the nation, Dave Zyron. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip-off. Seku Smith from NBA.com, the Hangtime blog. Joined by my uh, gruff-voiced Cold himself, language. You all right, dude? You sound a little hanging rugged. in there. Yeah, I got. A, I sound. I got a little Darth Vader today. <laughs> and uh, Lang, this being draft time, we couldn't have picked a better time for our good friend Chris Dortch, uh, Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook, and the NBA Coms and NBA TVs College Draft Expert joining us in the studio live. Chris, I'm sorry I'm not there to join you and uh, sip on those Diet Cokes that have been sitting there. How are you, sir? I wanted to come and see where all the magic happens. And you're not even here, dude. Come on. It's, it's rough. That, 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 uh, that, that blowback from the NBA playoffs in the finals is rough, man. I, hey. I, I could barely get out of the bed the last few days. Uh, now you got to do all the paperwork. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't remind me. You, uh, we're knee deep though in your favorite, well, one of your favorite times of year, of oh, course. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. This draft, how how has it evolved for you from the first time we talked about this thing months ago to now, where we're just a couple of days out from Thursday night's NBA draft? That's a good question, man. Because it has evolved. I mean, I don't think we had a high opinion of it a couple of months ago, but I have come to to think about it this way. You know, it's like the Army. You can't have all generals, man. you got to have some privates. And it's the same way with the NBA. You can't have all LeBrons and Kobe's. you got to have some players that are willing to play roles. And, you know, I don't think there's a, a wealth, some say two players that might have an instant impact and be mm-hmm. a chance to be, you know, a superstar kind of guys. But I think upon further review that there are a bunch of guys, guys that I think could – could come in, fill some roles, and, and have uh, lengthy NBA careers. Well, Chris, which guys like in the last week have, have kind of helped themselves or, or have probably gained some esteem in the last week or two? 
You know, there's there's quite a few. Uh, I think a guy named Norris Cole, a point guard from Cleveland State, uh, he's a guy that not a lot of people have talked about unless you're an NBA scout. There's only two players, guys, in the last 15 years that put up a 40-point, 20-board game. Hmm. Blake Griffin was one. This kid at 6'1 was another. <laughs> he had 40, 20, and 9 against Youngstown State. Now, I don't care if you're playing armpit state, man. <laughs> you, you go 40, 20, and 9, I'm impressed. Uh, and, and he's he's been having good workouts. I think the scouts like his quickness and his ability to get to the rack. He was defensive player of the year in the Horizon League, so he will guard, likes to guard. So I think guys like that, uh, another point guard that, that, you know, truthfully wasn't even on radar screens for a lot of people until late is a kid named Julian Stone from UTEP. He's a legit 6'6". Uh, not many uh, players in the whole country led their team in assists and rebounding. This kid did. So I think guys like that that are going to maybe fill some roles. I think John Luer from Wisconsin, the big man. I'm not saying he's Dirk Nowitzki, but he does Nowitzki-like things uh, from the standpoint that he can put the ball on the floor at seven feet and get to the rim, and he can also shoot the three. So, you know, guys like that have been boosting their stock as we've gone along. Hmm. Chris, so much changes in the time that, uh, you know, we start examining these players to now. The, th- the fact hasn't changed. Kyrie Irving has 11 games of Duke footage for everybody to watch. Yeah. You know, yeah. Ennis Cantor has none yes. from, from his college. It's a little scary. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, I, and I wrote about it this morning that it just – I think Cleveland is right to pause for a minute just to really study this draft, study that top group, and decide, hey, are we making the right choices? You know, is Kyrie Irving the guy yeah. that we think – you know, I mean, is, is this one of those deals and, – and we don't have these sorts of drafts often where there's this much – uh, uncertainty about who those very top picks are. are. Are the Cavaliers right to sit back and look at this and really study it before they move uh, Thursday night? Well, I think they are. I mean, they've got the pressure of a whole city's expectations. You know, LeBron James leaves. I'm not knocking him for doing that. Uh, some Cleveland fans have. Uh, but they want to get this franchise back in a hurry, and they can't do it by making mistakes. I can say a couple of things uh, that might make them feel a little better, and I'm sure they know this by now, but uh, Duke was the defending national championships at the beginning of this year. Coach K tore up their offense and reinstalled a new offense all because of Kyrie Irving. Now, you don't just do that for anybody. Right. They played up-tempo, put more screens in so this kid can get into the, rim, uh, into the lane and make things happen. And uh, so that's got to make you feel pretty good. And there was a quote that, that uh, Coach K gave uh, during the NCAA tournament, he says, if this kid plays the whole year, he might be the best player in college basketball. He's that yeah. good. So, you know, I think that's – you're talking about Durant-like territory then if you're the best player in the game as a freshman. So that might make him feel a little bit better. Yeah. And then Cantor, you know, is the, is the other guy you hear them maybe taking. I talked to Rafael Chilius, who's a, a Washington assistant. Remember, he committed there before Kentucky got him away. But he was the first guy from the States that laid eyes on this kid. And he said the first thing he noticed was the guy was just he, – he treated a rebound like it was his last meal. Uh, a Moses Malone-like rebounder, he said. The guy went out of bounds on one side of the rim to get to claim a rebound and came back inbounds on the other side. You know, you want the ball if you do that kind of stuff. And he's got great hands. Talking to the Kentucky staff, they they were able to work him out this year. Uh, they think he is the real deal, but obviously he's 19 years old. Right. Well, you know, we we hear a lot about Kyrie Irving and and 
Cantor, and even Derek Williams, who a lot of people think is going to go too. But what about Brandon Knight? I mean, he kind of had to fit into what they did at Kentucky this year. Do you, what do you? What can you tell us about him? Is he probably going to be the number three pick? Uh, I, I would say so. The, the thing about Brandon Knight that a lot of people don't understand, he scored eight jillion points in in, uh, yeah. in high school because he had to. Um, he, he broke John Wall's one-year-old Kentucky freshman scoring record by a substantial margin this year because he had to uh, <laughs> and because he's a good shooter. He also set Kentucky's uh, freshman record for three-pointers. He's a great shooter. Uh, he's, a, he's a super intelligent kid. His assist-to-turnover ratio this year wasn't as, as good as I thought it would be, but I think it'll get better because he's smart and he learns quickly. Uh, again, talking to some of Kentucky's assistants, they said it for, for a while during the year it was a difficult transition for him to say, hey, when do I get uh, call my own number? When do I get other people involved? But he evolved into that. Uh, and, and really became a, a great point guard. And I think, you know, once he gets into the interview process with the NBA teams, they're won over because he's an all-world kid. And like mm-hmm. I said, he's super intelligent. Chris, do you feel like, um, you know, and, and I, Lang, you know you know about this as well as I do. I, I, I go back to years where the Rudy Gays and the Brandon Roys of the world kind of get pressed down a little bit in the draft order for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Who's, the, who's the guy, Chris, in this draft that's getting pressed down three or four spots or maybe more whose talent dictates he probably should go higher, but he won't? I mean, who's, who's that guy that we'll be looking at two or three years from now and going, they should have taken him three instead of six, or they should have taken him two instead of nine? You know what I mean? Is there, is there a guy in this draft or two like that? You know, I think the Morris twins have kind of been undervalued. If if you look at Dave, our co- colleague David Aldridge's big board, uh, he doesn't have them in his top five uh, in, in either power forward or small forward. Yet the NBA has invited both the twins uh, to the draft night. Right. So uh, you know, I think maybe they've come off a tad cocky. I think uh, in some interviews <laughs> with the press, and but that's cool. You know. Uh, I think if you can back it up, it ain't bragging. Uh, who who was it that said that? Dizzy Dean or somebody? Casey Stingle? But <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, I, I think that these are two guys that that are sort of a modern day type player. They're they're humongous, but they can move. Uh, they can get out on the floor and make plays. They can shoot the three and stretch defenses. Uh, so I, I think, especially Marcus, I, I think he's a guy that that maybe has slipped a little bit, but, but here lately has come back up. And I, I've even heard it said that maybe it's, it's not so much what he did, but others have slipped back. Mm. Well, what about uh, second-round guys? You know, I saw some of these teams have talked about trying to find an impact guy in the second round. Who do you think could make an impact in the second round? Well, I think if Norris Cole slips, uh, yeah. a guy like that, uh, Deontay Garrett, a point guard from Iowa State who's got legit size at 6'5 and is a true point, uh, guys like that that could slip and, and maybe have a role. I think the final showed us that you've got to have guys coming off the bench that can make shots, yeah. uh, that, that can get people involved. And, and I, I look for guys like that, uh, point guards, uh, impact this game, as you all know. And, and I think if Norris Cole were to fall that far, if Deontay Garrett were to fall that far, uh, people like that, I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll have some real value in that second round. Chris, Chris, what's your favorite position in this draft in terms of talent and depth? And who do you, you know, which position do you think stands to, to, to bear the most fruit in this draft for NBA teams? You know, I, 
I, I, there, there's some excellent two guards uh, guys uh, that I think will will have a chance to to you know to have some impact. Uh, you know, obviously we're we're talking about Alec Burks from Colorado. Uh, Tad Boyle, his his coach, is an old friend, and I talked to him the other day, and and I said, look, the the knock on the kid is that he can't really. He's not a great great jump shooter, and he said, Chris, I know the guy can make shots. I've seen him do it in practice. It's a matter, you know, the mechanics are there. Uh, but he's got everything else you would want, you know. He, he's kind of got D. Wade-type skills. And I think he's going to be a guy that, that people are going to remember. I like Clay Thompson from Washington State an awful lot. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a real low-key guy. He got in a little bit of trouble uh, in the off season, but that's not indicative of who he is or what he is. Uh, he's a great, great shooter with legit size. Uh, and I don't know, a guy like uh, uh, Josh Selby has been undervalued uh, because he, he had a, a horrendous freshman year at Kansas from all kinds of standpoints, suspensions, mm-hmm. injuries, not fitting in right away. And there's some others, some sleepers. Marshawn Brooks is a guy from Providence that I really love. He had a 52-point game this year. And, again, like I said about Norris Cole and his 40-20, I don't care who you get 52 against. That's pretty impressive. He's super long. He's got an unreal wingspan and, and the second largest hands, I think, at the Chicago Combine. So he can get to the rim. He loves Kobe, and he's emulated a lot of his game. So I think the shooting guard position is going to be one that people are going to look back on and say, wow, there are some guys that can that can put it into how. <laughs> are we really going to go 20 minutes talking about this draft without talking about Seku's favorite player? Let's go, Seku. Who is it, brother? Jimmer. Jimmer. <laughs> hey, he, he's one of my favorites too, man. Uh, yeah. he, he really is. And the, the thing about it is, you know, I, I don't know how you, you rate athleticism, whether it's I can run faster uh, and jump higher than you, or I'm pretty good at stuff like ping pong and golf and hand-eye coordination. Right. I don't know. Uh, yeah, Jimmer's not going to jump out of the gym. He's not going to run past anybody. Uh, he may have, have a difficult time keeping people in front of him. But he's got to be a great athlete. He's mm-hmm. got hand-eye coordination. And the thing I like about him, he's one of those old-school guys, like a Pete Maravich, that had skills and jukes and fakes to get himself some space. And right. he's a great shooter. And if he gets himself some space, the other thing is he gets to the rim. I, I mean, I don't know how often he's going to be able to do that with the quickness he's going to face. But here's, here's the thing about him. He's crafty. So he's going to mm-hmm. find ways. And then I, I heard him interviewed the other day. He had a, a, a he had a, a, a workout with Kemba in, in Utah, and he felt like he held his own against Kemba, who you know is one of the quickest cats around. Uh, I think in his mind, he thinks he can guard. Uh, if you think you can do something, that's ninety percent of it. Uh, then, right. you, then you just have to be taught and coached. And and uh, I think he'll be able to hold his own. The thing about him that I like, he's just like Stephen Curry. I I saw him come to a game at Chattanooga. Chattanooga draws flies. I mean, mean, they're they're lucky to get 3,000 people. (laughs) That night they got 9,000. Wow. Uh, And everybody wanted to get his autograph. And and it was similar to the Jimmer Fredette show. Everywhere he went, this guy was a folk hero. People loved the guy. And I think he's great for the game. You guys talked about Jimmer, Um, you know, everybody's favorite draft pick. Uh, certainly Drew Packham's favorite player in this draft. <laughs> um, what about a point guard from University of Michigan, Darius Morris? And, yes, I'm biased. I'm hoping he's a he's a sleeper on somebody's board and makes it into the first round. But what about young, you know, a young, big point guard like that in a league where point guards are the are now the in vogue position? 
this doesn't seem like a draft filled with guys at that spot, Chris. Is he is he a guy that could could squeeze up into that first round somewhere? You know, I th- I think he is. Uh, you correctly identified the, the biggest thing about the kid. He's got legitimate size, and he's a true point guard. Now, you might say all you want to is, is that maybe he should have gone back and gotten a little more seasoning and, and what have you. But I think in terms of, of being a guy who, who knows where his strengths are, in other words, he's going to be a setup man. He's not going to try. He averaged 15 this year, uh, uh, but he also averaged seven assists. So I don't think he's a guy that thinks he's, uh, he's all hung up on scoring uh, the, the weakness that, that you might see is he only shot 25% from the college three line. Uh, you never want somebody to be able to back off you and not worry and not have to honor your penetration. So that's the thing that he's going to have to convince people. But the guy set a school record with 235 assists, so he can, he can drop dime. No doubt. Do you, do you oh, feel – oh, I'm sorry, Lane, go ahead. No, I was going to say, well, you know, we – you told us about Norris Cole and, and uh, from Cleveland State, but what other like you know we've talked about most of these guys are from big schools. What other like small small school guys are out there that you know maybe we haven't heard of? Well, uh, you've heard of Kenneth Fareed by now, but there, right. there's there's a guy who uh, again he wasn't on one of DA's uh, top five, but you know you talk about uh, you know in the middle of nowhere this kid asked uh, when he was on his recruiting trip he asked where the skyscrapers were <laughs> and they said they said we don't have skyscrapers man we got mountains uh but four <laughs> four years later you know he's the epitome uh i i interviewed him for, for a story on nba.com and you know his mother's battling lupus and has for years and she cares nothing at all about but but how many rebounds this kid he could score 80 and she'd say well how many boards did you get so his motivation to keep his mother happy and feeling good is to rebound. So literally, guys, he rebounds like his mother's life depends on it. Now, yeah. how are you going to get a board away from that guy? I, I think he's the he epitomizes what you talked about, Lang, is a guy from a small school who hung in for four years, who got better every year, and had motivation uh, to do his job. You know, you hear the comparisons to Dennis Rodman all the time, and I think that's apt. Uh, you know, Dennis actually studied where balls came off uh, for different shooters. He knew uh, before the shot was taken where it was mm. likely to come off, and this guy can do it. And the other thing, he can jump over you and go get it. So uh, he epitomizes what you asked about, Lang. Mm. Last thing, Chris, that I wanted to, that we wanted to get to, get with you on here. Um, draft process goes, you know, runs its course. Who's the one guy who's stock? rose the most throughout this process and maybe the one guy who saw his stock either stay stagnant or drop the most, you know, over the course of the past couple of months? Well, I, I think this kid, uh, uh, Bismack Biambu, uh, mm-hmm. it was a guy that, that like people didn't uh, hear much about and wondered, uh, uh, you know, he, he's got big time athleticism. He can, he can rebound and block shots, but I think he slipped a little bit. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, he, he went to Italy and and uh, did not play there in that in that camp. And, and uh, I think he was a guy that, that uh, uh, maybe people thought they would would take a top five to ten pick on. And I don't think that's going to be the case. 
I think a guy that stock has risen as this uh, as this thing has gone on is Kawhi Leonard, the small forward from San Diego State. Mm. You talk about mm-hmm. meat hooks for hands. This guy's <laughs> I mean, this guy's got some paws on him and a seven foot wingspan. Uh, big time athlete. Again, uh, the situation with him is his jump shot. He shot twenty nine percent from three for the year. But I'll tell you what. Uh, he's a guy that really likes to get after it. He's a gym rat. And I think his stock has risen steadily to the fa- to the point where, you know, he's going to be a top six, seven pick. Should be interesting, man. Thursday night, NBA draft. I know you're going to be on the set. Am I correct, Chris? I'm not sure where I'll be, but wherever I'll be, I'm going to be pumped. <laughs> that I've like been studying pump. this for months, guys. I, I want to see if I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> That sounds like a plan. Lang and I are going to be in New Jersey, uh, you know, clowning around and trying to see if we can't figure it out as well, man. And we appreciate you coming on. We definitely will talk more as as the summer goes on because we, you know, you think this is the final exam, but this we're just warming up. We got next year's draft to worry about. Oh, exactly, man. Anytime, <laughs> boys. Anytime. All right, Chris. Thank Thanks, you. Chris. Thanks. Chris Dorch, our very own Lang, draft guru, expert, college basketball savant the whole nine yards hanging out with us here on the hang time podcast um i, I admit it I'm, I'm biased towards darius morris we didn't even talk about two georgia guys whose names i've seen yeah. flickering in the first round um and and one of them is a dude i know you love to watch you know on the highlights um travis leslie travis leslie and, and yeah i mean the, this this draft to me is one of those strange ones where you don't know who's going to pop out in the, in the second half of that first round um, and certainly into the second round. And that's to me where you make your money. If you're a good organization is that you are able to go down in the first round, you know, down in the twenties, um, you know, in the late teens even, but really down into the twenties and the mid twenties and, and pull out a, a Darren Collison or, you know what I mean? Or a Jameer Nelson. Yeah. But don't you think a lot of that has to do with the franchise itself and like, you know, having a system in place, um, and and knowing exactly what you're going for, and that's why the Spurs can pick at the bottom of the first round every year and get a guy who's like great and comes in and does exactly what they need him to do. And I think you know when you have that continuity there and you have a system in place, uh, it's a lot easier on your franchise. Yeah, and I, I think some of it has to do with also like you mentioned, Lang. Think about the the picks that they do get late in drafts. Like you mentioned, the Spurs, they get Tony Parker late in the first round. They get Manu. At like 56 or whatever yeah. it is, late in the second, you know, almost the, basically the end of the draft. When you can do that on a consistent basis and always find players, um, to me that speaks, like you said, that speaks to something bigger than just throwing darts at the board on draft night. That's more of a, a systemic thing where you know how to Ooh. scout internationally, you know, the colleges and everything, and you can really identify players who fit your program. And to me, if you want to, the fastest way out of lottery is to not screw up the draft. Yeah. You know, when you do get high picks, don't screw them up. So it's going to be interesting to see. Which is easier said than done sometimes. Exactly. Exactly. But it's going to be interesting. That's why, to me, good, bad draft, bad draft, whatever you want to say about it, it never lacks for drama and intrigue on draft night because you just don't know how these guys are going to turn out, you know, two or three years from now. And, um, you know, uh, again, Chris is excited. We're excited. And uh, we got some more guests lined up who I think are equally excited. So um, moving along, Lang, the city of Cleveland 
outside of New Jersey, you know, the Prudential Center, New Jersey on Thursday night is going to be the center of the uh, draft universe Thursday night. And joining us now on the Hang Time Podcast is a longtime NBA expert and watcher of the Cavaliers, Mary Schmidt Boyer from the Plain Dealers here with us on the podcast. What is, what is the mood like in Cleveland right now in terms of anticipation? I mean, is everybody thinking this is our chance to, you know, to, to strike and, and get these two picks and rebuild the franchise overnight? Or do, do people really understand that it's going to be a, a drawn out process and not necessarily something that happens like it did when LeBron showed up at the, as the number one pick in the draft? Well, sadly, I do think that people are kind of overestimating what these players are going to do as far as, you know, turning around the Cavs' fortunes. I do think people are sort of um, optimistically hoping for the playoffs next year. You know, the Cavs have tried to keep kind of a damper on things, saying, hey, you know, we're probably three years away, so next Mm -hmm. year would only be year two in this. But but I don't think fans are quite (laughs) getting that message. And you know what? After what they went through this year, you know, at this point, maybe you should just let them be a little more excited. You know, of course, it's like Fort Knox trying to get information out of the Cavs. So, uh, <laughs> right. um, you know, I have to go on NBA.com to find out what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you talked about, you know, the, if these players being able to come in. I know you said it's hard to get information. Is there any indication who these players might end up being? Well, we know that Cantor is back here today for a second workout, and I believe there's been a report that Brandon Knight is here as well. Obviously, they're not working out against each other, but um, perhaps they're putting them through drills. You know, again, they've been very, very, very closed mouth as opposed to everybody else who sends out emails about the workouts and who's coming, and um, it's been very difficult. Just You know, on one hand, I get that they're trying to keep all their options open, but from my point of view, given what's going on around the league and, and you know, I, I don't think you give anything away by saying who's here working out. In fact, if you're interested in misinformation, you could invite a bunch of guys and you don't have any interest in drafting. So, um, you know, we do know for sure that Cantor is here today. We know Kyrie Irving was here, I think, two weeks ago, and, and this is the only workout he's done. And uh, Derek Williams was here as well. So, Clearly, those are the uh, top options for the Cavs at one and four. Mary, having watched them all year, do you even do? You, is it even a matter of what position or what's the biggest need, or do they just need an infusion of young talent at whatever position? And you know, you just want to add the young, the young bodies and the excitement that comes with the draft. I mean, is there any is there any way you could break it down and think, okay, well, this is what they really need if they want to take a next step? Well, the problem is what they really need isn't available at number one and number four. I mean, they need shooting, they need scoring, they need athletic wing players, and right. one and four is way too high for those guys in this draft. So, yeah. um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they were hurt, I think, by some of the guys who went back to school. Probably would have Harrison Barnes, for instance, might have been a guy mm-hmm. who could really help them. So, um Yes, they do need to um, just add overall talent, but that, I think that's where the Kyrie Irving, you know, and, and if I go by what I'm being told by the Cavs, they had not, as of last night, made up their mind. Mm-hmm. Everybody in America thinks they're going to take Kyrie <laughs> Irving, and I think it's entirely likely they do take Kyrie Irving, but not necessarily, probably just because he's the best player available with the most upside there the team is constructed so that they could bring in a young point guard have baron davis mentor him 
Byron mm-hmm. Scott's had, had his best success with teams with good young point guards, so it's kind of all set up for that. Um, that being said, you know, I, I'd say 90%, but, you know, they have – I'm going by what they're telling me, and they said they hadn't made their mind up yet. So, yeah. Well, have you heard of – is there any thought to – you know, as you said, they could probably use some of the guys who are down a little bit in the draft. Have they talked at all about trading down, or is that a thought – I think everything's a possibility, frankly. Um, uh, you know, they have that trade exception uh, as well. And so with that and one and four, I think moving up, moving down, I think everything's on the board right now, which is one reason why they aren't telling us or, you know, why they haven't made up their mind yet. I think that they are waiting to see all the offers available. You know, when you see some of the talk coming out of Minnesota, it's very interesting you know, we're talking Kevin Love, we're talking Paul So very interesting things going on with that number two pick. Um, and so, you know, more power to them. If they can, if they can keep all their options open and, and add either a proven player or the number two pick, go for it. Mary, if, if you were in the shoes of Chris Grant or somebody in charge of this draft for the Cavaliers, would you be more inclined to maybe make a deal and say if you could get a star player – from somebody else's team and swap those picks. I mean, would you be would you be willing to look at that maybe as something more of a sure bet than drafting any any of these players at one and four? Because to me, it seems yeah. like you could you know you could swing a deal with those two picks and get something much better than you could get out of this draft. I think that's absolutely correct. And again, another reason why they haven't announced their intentions or perhaps made up their mind yet. I would agree. You know, I don't think the draft is as horrible as, you know, we all thought going in, but it Mm -hmm. sounds like there are very, very, very few all-star caliber players available and more players who will be role players or, um, you know, rotation players. And to that end, yes, I I would think if they could package those two picks and get a, a proven player, I think they would be better off. Well, do you think, in a way, though, like if they get, get these guys from college, I mean, it, it it not prolongs the expectations, but it gives them that promise and, you know, the hope, and that's kind of what the fans are clinging to right now? Yes. I mean, you know, I guess nobody really expects them to put these two picks together and get a, <laughs> right. I don't know, you know, power. So let's just throw that name out there because it was out in okay. Minnesota. But, um, you know, so I, I think – Fans are excited about the potential of young new stars kind of starting out or, or you know, mm-hmm. advancing the rebuilding process. Um, and, and if you get college players, I think the expectations are more easily managed because you can say, hey, it takes two, three years for these guys to, to develop. Um, whereas, you know, they do have a couple players, you know, Anderson Verjon missed most of the season with injury. He's coming back. Jameson missed a lot of the season. He's coming back. So, um you know, they have some, some good pieces coming back as well. But, uh, you know, a veteran player certainly would advance the expectations, whereas college players, yeah. you can kind of tap things down and say, hey, they've got to grow, we've got to grow. You know, uh, the difference, I think, would be uh, the fan perception of what you get done if you take, take the picks and trade them versus take the picks and, and use them on college players. Well, it's going, it should be an interesting night. Uh, Thursday night in Cleveland. Mary, we appreciate you joining us, and uh, we'll be keeping an eye out. Hopefully there'll be a little more uh, forthcoming with information in the next couple of days in Cleveland. <laughs> we, we hate to see him do you like this. 
Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about it. Thanks for joining us now. All right, guys. Thank you for having Thank me. You. Thanks, Mary. Okay. Because the weird thing, Lang, I've been around a team. I've been around te- I've covered teams that were really good. And at draft time, you know, it didn't matter. They were picking so low in the first round and nobody cared. You know, you're picking 26th. It's, there's not a whole lot of tight-lipped behavior about the draft pick. I've also been around team, your Hawks, you know, and they were picking in the lottery year after year. And they had to open the doors and make sure you knew that every star player was coming through because they needed right. to drum up that that support and that energy. And then this situation in Cleveland where – you know they want to. Everything's a secret, and you know they don't. They don't want to make any decisions. I can only imagine how nerve wracking that must be trying to keep up with that day after day, knowing that you know, like she said, there's more information about what the Cavs might do on NBA.com than there is floating around the city of Cleveland because the Cavaliers are so unbelievably you know tight lipped and paranoid about information getting out. It's a. I, I don't envy Chris Grant and and the people <laughs> up there the last year. And especially after the lottery, I thought, you got to be joking. You know, like, they go from the, from the decision to the year they suffered through to now they're, they're going to be on the spotlight Thursday night. And they got to get this right. They can't, you know, they can't yeah. mess this up. I'm, I'm also curious to see what trades get made. Because, you know, usually, in, I think in previous years, you at least have a pretty good idea that something might happen or, or you know, this team's looking to sell a pick or whatever. But... Um, I think this year I don't really have any idea what team is probably most likely to make a move, but you know someone will. There's always a moment where David Stern walks out there and says, uh, "We have a trade," and the whole crowd <laughs> ooze or whatever. So I, you know it's going to happen, but I just don't know exactly who it'll be, and I, I I'm kind of interested to see how that shakes out too. Well, it's funny, you know, you think about Ricky Rubio coming over. Um, which I sent you a text the other day, I think, or an email. You didn't respond. Which <laughs> you sent me a direct message. Is that what it was? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw it. Yeah, I, I, I figured you, I took your your non-response as a, you know, as a symbol more than anything else. But, I mean, if you're, if you're picking one and four in this draft and, you know, and, and you're that team, you have to really ask yourself, what could I get existing player-wise that would be better than either of the players I would get at one and four, or that potentially could be better than the players I could get one and four. And I, and this mystifies me about drafts all the time, but I guess it's, it has everything to do with the fact that teams are always selling hope. I I dig that, you know, you're selling the future and, and you're always selling things that, you know, when you're in that high lottery, things are going to be better down the road. Right. I just feel like, and I don't know, maybe it's the, Maybe it's the microwave generation in me, but I just feel like wouldn't it make more sense if, you know, if an Andre Iguodala is a, is on the trading block, as has been rumored, or any player of that caliber or higher, you know, wouldn't it make sense to to take your draft pick and something else and say, hey, let's let's move this, get a get a known commodity and roll with that, you know? Well, but also think about this. It's it's cheaper to get even two guys. Absolutely. And it is then they just have one guy like that. And if you yeah. don't have contracts you're trying to move, you can't go get that guy. Um, so I, I see it both both ways. And I also understand, you know, again, if, if you don't want to speed up the expectations, right. <laughs> you can take your time and, and draft these guys. Yeah, and that kind of worries me too that, you know, 
so much of the draft over the, you know, you remember there was a time before, and I'm, this is taking it back, but I mean, before high school players started coming in the draft in droves, you know, and they since obviously stopped that you have to go to school for um, right. at least a year. But bef- before that time, you know, the draft was always about selecting the guy you thought was going to come in and have the greatest impact right now. Um, right. And now it's, it's much more of a futures market. Um, yeah. And, you know, and speaking of futures, there's, there's a guy who's traveled all over the globe studying the, the NBA draft futures market, joining us now on the hang time podcast, our very own Scott Howard Cooper, Mr. Italia himself, sir. How was, how was the trip abroad? Give us, give us the breakdown. It's a miserable job. (laughs) One day there, you're getting tickets to sit courtside at some NBA arena and being paid for it. And the next day you're, Jetting off to Italy. I mean, this is terrible. Why did I ever take this job in the first place? <laughs> what a what what a international star this guy is. You you, you had great stuff, obviously, from uh, the Adidas Euro Camp over in Italy. But the, you also had the Dwight Howard lick, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes as well. Um, you know, with him talking about <clears throat> uh, becoming a, a free agent, you know, and wanting to stay with Orlando, but definitely wanting to become a free agent. Um, in 2012, Scott, did you leave Italy convinced that one of those international players was a cut above the rest of them? I mean, did you, did you, was that enough time for you to go over there and, and come away with that feeling? I saw separation for two guys, maybe not one over the other. Uh, before mm-hmm. I went, mm-hmm. I, I talked to a lot of scouts and a lot of general managers about this group of international prospects because for the first time in a few years, there really is going to be a big foreign influence in the lottery and throughout the first round, and that's something we haven't seen for a while. And then once I got over there and talked to the players themselves and got a chance to talk to the NBA people and some of the European scouts after the individual workouts, after they had done some uh, personal interviews, I left feeling that uh, Jonas Valanciunas and Jan Vesely are slightly better than the rest Mm. Um, and that's obviously at a very early stage because uh, both those guys are young guys they're when we say prospects it's not just nba prospects (laughs) these guys are are (laughs) relatively young even in the european game but those are the two guys that 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 you really hear the most raves about well tell us about Bismack Biombo. I know he's like the talking point for the last couple of weeks. Um, what have you seen from him or heard about him? Well, very, very intriguing because uh, he's really come out of nowhere. This is a guy that a year ago uh, maybe some people had heard of but did not consider to be an NBA player and definitely not a first-round pick. And absolutely, positively, nobody was saying, yeah, there's a chance that this guy goes – in the lottery. Uh, he's a fabulous athlete, uh, one-dimensional in the sense that people think he can be a game-changer on defense, but he has zero offensive skills, and that's what makes it kind of interesting. Did not even finish a full season in the top league in Spain this year, which mm-hmm. throws a little bit more intrigue into it, the lack of experience. Uh, but there's really a split vote on this guy. Some people think he's all hype. Uh, that this mm-hmm. is just because he's, he, he's sort of the, the flavor of the month. And then there are other right. people that say, no, no, this guy's really going to be a difference maker. You can't give him the ball on offense. You know, you, you're going to have to play four on five, and that's an obvious problem. 
but defensively, he's going to win you games. Scott, I'm I'm kind of intrigued here about Enos Cantor only because nobody seems to want to claim him. I mean, the NCAA won't let Kentucky claim him. <laughs> he's, he, he doesn't he doesn't necessarily get lumped into the international pool. I mean, where where does he fit in this in this uh, equation in terms of whether or not he's a strictly an international guy or is he an American college guy? I mean, how do you how do scouts and executives gauge his game? You know, that's a great point. It's funny just when we were talking about the crop of European players, uh, I'm thinking uh, a few of the guys, and Cantor really doesn't fit into that mold in, in certain ways. You're right. He is he is sort of a floater. Maybe he's a uh, a man of all nations. Maybe we'll, we'll say that. Because he is from Europe, that's what his background is, and he played for the international team at the Nike Hoop Summit in Portland, and that's where he was really impressive. Uh, gosh, I guess by now it's 13 months ago, 14 months ago. But he came over to, to, and enrolled in the University of Kentucky, and expected to play his freshman season in Lexington. But then, as you said, because of the NCAA ruling, he was not able to, but he stayed at Kentucky. It's not like he went back to Europe uh, to play there to gain more experience. He practiced with the Wildcats. He attended classes. Uh, and so there's sort of this sense that, eh, European guy, American guy. Uh, so I'm not sure where he fits <laughs> in there. All I know is uh, I think the guy's a real player, and he could go as – he could go as early as number three to Utah. That's definitely a real possibility. Uh, his English is good. You know, the, I, I don't know how how well uh, he spoke before spending the school year at Kentucky, or mm-hmm. uh, if this is the the byproduct of having you know been there for been in the United States for a long time. But his English is good. His attitude is terrific. He's one of the few guys in recent years I can remember that went to the pre-draft camp. Uh, this year, the last couple of years, has been in Chicago. Before that, it was in Orlando, who was a top prospect, obviously headed to the lottery, and said, I'm going to play anyway. And that, you know, usually that's where you have the guys wrapping themselves in cellophane and saying, I don't want to hurt my draft stock. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, I'll take the physical and that's it. Um, but that really impressed me uh, and impressed a lot of NBA people, more importantly, that this guy said, I haven't played in a year. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I should play, and more importantly, I want to play. I have a passion to play, and that that showed uh, something to a lot of the NBA teams. Right. Well, Scott, you know, a lot of these guys this year, especially in the draft, the the, the international players that we're talking about are all either being mentioned in the lottery or, or at least first round. Are there any guys, second-round guys, or, or guys that teams might draft late in the draft and, and leave over to, to season a little bit? I think the two names that probably fit best into that category, uh, one guy is a bubble pick, end of the first round, second round early is a possibility as well. He's a small forward, a terrific shooter named Davis Bertans. Uh, I had a chance to talk to him in Italy, and he was the first one to say, you know, oh gosh, I do not expect to be in the NBA this, this season coming up. If I am drafted, I almost certainly will come back to Europe, or if the team feels like I'm going to learn more, just by practicing with the NBA team, which is a possibility, um, you know, he, he said, uh-huh. uh, "I'm not, I'm not going to play, even if I come over to the NBA." So even he's the first to say that he's a, a year or two away. Another one of the interesting prospects is uh, Nikola Mirotic, who's a, a center in a draft with very, very few centers. This guy would probably be a first rounder, 
but in this case, he's got a terrible buyout. People think that at mm. best he's two years away from being able to come over. So I think you're going to see him slip into the into the early second round, and somebody's going to feel like we'll take him. You know, we'll keep an eye on him, and we'll we'll check back every now and then. But we don't expect to see him for a little while. Right, Scott, you had a unique perspective. You've been to the to pre-draft camp, you know, um, in Chicago. And then you go to the Adidas Euro camp. What's the what's the difference in the way they're orchestrated and kind of how these these guys are poked and prodded? Is it is it similar format? Is it totally unique? You know, because of the coaching styles and the different ways they run things. I mean, how do you, how would you compare the two? They're pretty similar. Uh, one of the things that jumped out to me was that there was a lot more team practice time in Europe. In Chicago, mm-hmm. you saw a lot of the guys going through drills. There was. Uh, a lot of uh, testing. There was a lot of three-on-three play, two-on-two. A lot of things that you would see uh, in any in any high school, college, pro practice. Just post drills, uh, three-man weave, all the basic things. Uh, in Europe, there was a lot more because they had three courts almost next to each other, just with dividing walls, sort of separating for a little bit of privacy. And there was a a lot more time with your team, just sort of practicing. And you would play you would play games. Uh, at least once a day and sometimes more if you were picked for an all-star team and you would end up playing again later on that evening. Coaching was pretty similar because what you saw in Europe was a lot of names and faces that you would recognize in the United States. Uh, the, some of the guys coaching, Jack Sikma, uh, Billy Baino, Kevin Pritchard, mm-hmm. uh, Fran Frischilla. So it wasn't as though there was a strong European influence to the coaching. It, things were organized in a way uh, that the NBA people wanted to see certain drills and see certain things run and have the games played a certain way uh, that would really showcase some of the talent. So I don't think in, I think the format was pretty similar and certainly coaching style was very similar as well. You know, I know we're also talking a lot about guys for, for this draft in particular, and, and but having just come back from, from Europe, are there guys over there that are, you know, maybe a couple years away that, that are already getting buzzed about? Oh, sure. You know, that's, that's natural. Just like the same thing here, there's, there's high school seniors in the United States that people are saying, you know, wow, give him one year of college. And, you know, everybody knows Doc Rivers' kids uh, right. is a hot prospect and, and Anthony Davis. And, and there's a lot of guys. Uh, and it's the same thing over there. And, in fact, even younger because mm-hmm. there's a couple players uh, in the mid-teens uh, 14, you know, 15 and 16 that the NBA people are already circling and saying, all right, we're going to take a a mental snapshot of this guy. And in some cases, even an actual snapshot. And I'm going to come and I'm going to come and see him again. I want to see how his body has changed uh, in six months in Europe. If I see him again, or for a year from now, if I come back to the same camp in Italy, I want to know how his game has changed. I want to know how his body has changed. So there's no question uh, that it's the same way that NBA people used to go to the high school tournaments uh, back when players were able to be drafted coming out of high school. Uh, it's very, very similar to those things. People, you, you can't scout these things one year at a time. If you're a general manager, mm-hmm. you'd be completely, you're, you're completely dead in the water. You know, these right. people have have to have an idea on where things are heading in the draft of 2012 and 13. I would say maybe there's one or two guys they have in mind even for 14. Well, well, Scott, one of the benefits of your international travel, um, you got a chance to catch up with Dwight Howard, had a uh, very interesting story that got tweeted and 
retweeted and, and blogged about all over the place. Um, Dwight Howard talking about, you know, his first priority coming back to the magic, but certainly wanting to uh, become a free agent in 2012. And I'm curious, did you get a sense talking to him and, and, and watching him at all that he's, he's on the, the cusp of doing something major, um, be it saying all this stuff, but then maybe deciding he wants to play elsewhere, or maybe is there somebody he maybe has in mind and luring to come play with him in Orlando? I mean, where, where did, where did you gauge his, his mood and his temper to temperament to be at after speaking with him in Italy? I, I saw him in two different settings. One was he did a uh, big group press conference with uh, all, all the media there, mostly European media. And then he and I sat down alone afterwards, and that's where we had the real conversation that, that you're sort of referring to. That was just mm-hmm. he and I talking. And I found him to be in a very good mood. Uh, I, you know, anybody that has seen Dwight Howard knows that he can be very playful uh, and in good mm-hmm. spirits, and, and that was certainly the case. And I'm glad you emphasized the point right off that he did say he wants to stay in Orlando. He said that to me many, many times. He said, I want to work there. I want to spend the rest of my career there. I want that to be my home. Uh, but, and that's, that's what it always came back to, <laughs> but. And he made it clear that that he's not happy uh, the way certain things are going. He said he doesn't want to play general manager. He did not go to, he sat down with, with the owner and with the CEO, and he, he said, he told me he did not give him a list of players that should be here, players that should not be here, trade suggestions, free agent ideas. He said there was none of that involved, but he made it 100% clear to me, as the quotes indicated, he's not thrilled with the roster makeup because of the attitude. You know, he, he never once said anything to me about, uh, I expect every player to be perfect because I'm perfect. There was none of that. I, that that's some of the emails I got is, you know, why doesn't Dwight hit a free throw and then he can complain about other people? And that's not what Dwight was saying at all. He was not, he was not criticizing anybody for the way they played. His concern, and I think it's very valid, that if you're trying to win a championship, if you're Dwight Howard and, and you want to win the ring, uh, or whatever Mark Cuban is going to be giving out, <laughs> uh, you want guys with the right attitude. If nothing else, that has to be the starting point. And he said there was too many times... Uh, last season with this roster that he wasn't sure that the guys were completely engaged, that there were too many people in their ears, whether that's agents or friends or family, about you should be getting more shots or you should be getting more minutes and this isn't right and that isn't right. And he doesn't want anything to do with that. And I think that's his main point is he wants to find guys. I think he made a comment about who are going to lay it out on the line for 48 minutes. And he did not see that in the past. And I don't think that that's an unrealistic expectation to want for your team. I think that's the same thing that uh, Kobe would say, that Dirk would say, you know, that Derrick Rose would say. That should be the starting point before you get anywhere else is, you know, we better have guys that are willing to bring it. Exactly, exactly. Well, listen, man, <clears throat> we uh, we will take that uh, whatever trinkets you brought us back. <laughs> you send them, just send them to Micah, at, and he'll give you the address to the uh, – to the hideout, and um, we appreciate it because we know you brought us back some some seriously flashy, uh, you know, trinkets and gifts from Italy. We couldn't have, couldn't be happier to have you over there uh, scouting out the scene for us next year. Maybe we all get to go make it make a big group project out of it, and uh, 
you know, Lang, Lang's been there, I think, before, or has uh, been close to there. So, <laughs> <laughs> but we we uh, we loved reading the stuff, Scott. It was great stuff during the finals to be able to look up and see those reports coming over from Italy. Man, it was very interesting, very very intriguing stuff. So, thanks for joining I, us, and uh, look look forward to seeing you on Thursday night. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Scott Howard Cooper of NBA.com, nice international traveler, did it all, went to the Adidas Euro camp in Italy and uh, had some great stuff. Lang, I'm I'm getting on a plane and heading to New York. Could you please suck down a Robitussin Big Goat, <laughs> whatever it's going to take to get yourself right? Because we got, we got plans when I get to the city now. I got I got some Advil cold and sinus in my hand. <laughs> So as we, so I didn't want you to give me a hard time about drinking while we're taping the podcast. <laughs> you can hear me when I'm drinking my water usually. So yes, we, yeah. I uh, got to do what you got to do to hydrate, my friend. I'm waiting until we get we sign off here, and then I'm gonna get back on the medicine. All right. Well, listen. Thursday night NBA draft. Uh, thanks to all of our guests: Chris Dorch in studio, Mary Schmidt Boyer, the Plain Dealer, Scott Howard Cooper of NBA.com, all coming on to break down the draft for us. I can't believe we did a whole show without talking about the NBA Finals, the, the Dallas Mavericks Parade and all that other stuff. But you you got to put it in the rear view when the draft is bearing down on you a couple of days later. You know, you got you to gotta get in yep. draft mode this week. So um, we'll uh, definitely reconvene in New York and, and maybe throw something together and see, you know, maybe what we can uh, talk about post-draft later this week on the Hangtime Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hang Time blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. You can follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at SekuSmithNBA and Lang with it. The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do.